Welcome back, everyone. 901 The Time. Final hour for us today here on this busy Thursday, January 11th, 2024 edition of Sports 56 Mornings. Greg Ganston, Eli Savoy, Zach Boyd with you. Currently, sunshine, 37. It's going to warm up, probably get to around 60 degrees today, which is nice. And then rain comes in later tonight, tomorrow rain, and then the bitter cold and the possibility of snow Sunday night into Monday, and it could get uh, very dicey around here. So keep that in mind as you get your preparations for next week. It's the holiday on Monday. Big day over at FedEx Forum with the symposium, the Legacy Awards, and the game between the Grizzlies and the Warriors, and again, hopefully Mother Nature will do an about-face and cooperate with everyone. Before that one on Monday, the Grizzlies play the Clippers on Friday, and they'll play the Knicks on Saturday. The Memphis Tigers will be back in action on Sunday. They'll be in Wichita, where it's supposed to be like one degrees or whatever it is, probably below zero with the wind chill factor. And we know it'll be extremely cold for everyone who will be there, including... Our buddy, Parthu Pajai, who's the Memphis Tigers basketball beat writer for the Daily Memphian, he will be traveling to Wichita, but right now he's warm and comfortable in his home, and he joins us now on the phone to talk about the Tigers. Parth, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Enjoying the warmth and the coziness um, for as long as I can, man. Sunday, I'm looking at it right now. The high is two degrees. Two. In Wichita, Kansas, two. One, two. What's the low? The low is negative two with snow. Yeah, the low is negative two. Negative two. Plus, you got to figure there's going to be wind. So it's a wind chill factor of I don't know what it would be, and snow. My, I hope. I hope you get. I hope you can get home. Yeah, man. Uh, my flight back is Monday morning at ten forty, and I was talking to some folks yesterday who were suggesting that you know if they were me, they'd move that flight to Sunday night because it's going to snow yeah. here in Memphis on Monday. Yeah. So if, I just don't want to be stuck out there. If um, we get the snow Monday here. Uh, I would, if I was you, I would try and get back Sunday night if I could. <laughs> right. It might be like uh, seven, eight weeks before you're able to get back, you know, with an inch or two of snow, <laughs> Memphis will be shut down. So yeah, you may want to yeah, reschedule that. All right. I so, might look at doing that for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No All right. So, so you and I, we, we did it. Of course we do the weekly daily Memphian podcast and we talked about the Tigers and all these close shaves and they need to blow out teams for the net and things of that nature. And I said, look, it, I guarantee it's going to be another close game. I did not expect it to be overtime, I'll be honest with you. But the the, the Vegas odds makers who don't normally get it this wrong, 19 and a half points is what they favored Memphis by in this particular game. And that was just never going to be the case. It, it continues, Parth. Do you have any idea why? Because it seems like Penny is a little dumbfounded. Yeah, I have no idea either. It's just strange. You know, after that second half against SMU where they kind of, you know, I thought kind of went back to the identity, right, defensively. Held SMU to, what, less than 25% shooting. And, right. Uh, I think 23, 24 points you thought that would carry over, certainly against the UTSA team that had struggled all year. You know, they'd played really nobody. You know, if you look at their schedule and, and look at who the Roadrunners had faced up until last night, um, it had beaten nobody either. Their best win was that Rice win in overtime that came a couple days ago. Um, so you were hoping that would carry over on the defensive end at least, and it, you know, it didn't. You know, 17 threes is what UTSA shot, and uh, uh, that's obviously, you know, what sticks out the most looking at the box score. That's what kept them in the game, and that's what set the game to overtime. The play at the end of regulation, and I, I don't know if you got chance to, I don't know if Penny was asked about it after the game or not, but the timeout that he called when it looked like Quinterly kind of had an open path to the basket, 
Was he already maybe signaling for that timeout before that kind of before he turned the corner, or did you get to ask him why he took that timeout when he did? Yeah, I did not get a chance to ask him. I can't remember if somebody else did or not. I'm trying to think back, but that was a little bit um, head scratching to say the least. It looked like you know Javon Quinterly was turning that corner, like you said, and had a fairly open pass to the hoop. Maybe not entirely open, but certainly um, a cleaner look than they ended up getting with the yeah. Nick Jordan turnaround three in the corner. Um, you know, if I had to guess, I'm sure Penny already had in his mind to call that timeout, or he was already signaling for it, right? And then they got it. Um, just at a time where they, it looked like they had an easy bucket. But, man, whatever, like, even that aside, man, like, whatever they drew up after the timeout, like, yeah. I'm not sure if that play just broke down or I'm not sure what was going on there. But, um, you know, you'd think with 3.3 seconds on the clock, you can get a, a cleaner look than that, certainly. Yeah, Jaden had a, a tough time throwing the ball in bounds. Almost got a five-second yep. call and had to get it to Jordan for the uh, desperation three. All right, so when you look at the stats, okay, which I'm sure you did, and you just talked about what, what came out of this game was the lack of perimeter defense allowing 17 yep. threes. UTSA is a good three-point shooting team. They shoot a lot, high volume. But you look at the numbers, you go, oh, Memphis shot the ball better. They were over 50%. They out-rebounded them by a bunch. There was a lot of positives. They didn't turn the ball over that much. So when it came down to it, it was how they guarded on the perimeter. So afterwards, and I'm not sure, I wasn't there at the uh, post-game press conference like you were, so maybe he addressed it, but I did hear Dave Woloshin and his post-game interview with Penny on their radio network driving home. And I'm listening, and if I'm not mistaken, Penny basically said, we're going to go back to strictly man-to-man because this help defense thing is not working What's happening is, and I'm paraphrasing here, players are leaving their guy to help, and then they're leaving a three-point shooter, or they're making the wrong uh, judgment on whether or not to help, or they're not communicating in help defense. Yep. So all yep. these things are have been a problem. You can understand why you want to help and, and converge and double-team and things like that. He goes, no, we're going to now go back to basically man-to-man defense and if you're better than your guy, you should be able to, to, to slow that guy down. If not... And I'm, he didn't say this, but you would put somebody in who can do it, which hurts because you don't have a Caleb Mills, who's one of their best perimeter defenders. But, exactly. Yep. But that seems like right now, because he is flustered, he doesn't know what else to do. He's fired them up in practice. They've gone through everything, and they just come out like lugs there for the first half of the game. So I think this is probably a, a really good move to get back to being a defensive-oriented team, which has really been his DNA since taking over the Memphis program. No, for sure. And at this point, you got to try something, right? Like if um, their current defensive scheme isn't working. And guys, you're right, guys are overhelping um, often. And it's not just that they're doing it often. They're doing it when, um, you know, opposing players are driving to the hoop and they're, you know, five, ten feet away, right? Like there's no need to help that deep and you're leaving a guy open uh, to the point where you can't even recover. Nobody can recover because there's so much separation between the three-point shooter and the defender. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, it's time to try something new. And, you know, if guys can't, guard their man um in a man-to-man then it's time to put somebody in who can uh you would hope they have five six guys who you know who can do that for them with mills now out as we go through this and i kind of looking ahead when you get to the ncaa tournament how many guys you actually think will be really in the rotation you would hope no more than eight right like yesterday i was you know and i know you know i've been here for for over a year now, you know, covered last season as my first, and then, you know, we're halfway through this one, so I, maybe I should expect, right, this uh, kind of player carousel that we've <laughs> seen with the rotation. 
um, early on at least in games, but man, 11 guys playing in the first half, there's no need to play 11 guys in the first half. And when you're in crunch time, you know, I know they're good basketball players, and I know they'll be really good basketball players one day, but, you know, guys like Jonathan Pierre and Carl Scherenfont, there's no need to put them in, right? Like when you're trying to um, rally back from a seven-point deficit in the first half, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and we've seen him make the adjustments in the second half. We've seen him play, um, you know, six, seven, max eight guys in these tight games in the second half. So I don't understand why they can't just do that from the get-go, right? Like why can't they just leave the, you know, rotation at a, you know, seven, eight player max and have those guys kind of um, figure things out? Because it's hard to figure things out when you've got, um, when every media timeout seemingly you're coming in and out of the game, right? Like you're not getting a chance to kind of feel anything out or get a rhythm. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I would hope as the season kind of winds down um, into late February, March, and into the AAC tournament that you know they can stick with you know eight man rotation because there are eight guys that are clearly better than the rest. Right? Yeah, so, so you're talking about Tomlin, Hardaway, Jaden Hardaway, and Young as the three off the bench. Yeah, yeah, Naquan Tomlin. You know whether he becomes a starter um, and one of those other big guys, whether it be Nick Dordain or Malcolm Dandridge come up, comes off the bench instead. Um, so you got Naquan for now off the bench. You got the two Hardaways, and you got Jalen Young. I think that's where it should end. That nine-man rotation. There's no need to try to, you know, squeeze in minutes for for Jonathan Pierre or Carl Scherenfeld or anybody else for that matter. Um, and it's weird though because Penny said Penny said he wanted to find more minutes for those guys on his radio show. Um, you know, you can do that when you're up twenty, right, <laughs> or you're up fifteen, or, or something like that. But not when you're trying to beat UCSA and avoid, you know, what would have been, you know, arguably one of the or the worst loss in the Penny Hardaway era. Well, the, the thing, like, Ashton is weird. Like, Ashton went from starting to, to like, now, like, what did he get? He got five minutes last night. Well, I could, I could tell you this, and, and again, having the conversations I get to have in the pregame with, with Coach Hardaway, with Ashton, it's all about defense. If Ashton can pick it up quicker defending, then he'll get more minutes. But he only played him five minutes. He knows right away if he's engaged defensively. He's learning. He's still learning the game as a freshman. But Ashton is a guy he would love to have in the rotation, but more than likely he won't. And I agree with you, Parth. I think it's an eight-man. It should be an eight-man. And the three you said coming off the bench with Tomlin and with Young and with Jaden Hardaway is probably the way to go. But a couple of things. Number one, we know that Penny, what his strategy is, is to have all these guys go out there and play with reckless abandon, kill themselves for four or five minutes, and then get a break, right? And then bring in another group of guys. The problem I have is he needs to do a better job with the stagger because you can't, a lot of times he'll replace five with five, not so much now because he's lost a couple of players, Jordan Brown, Caleb Mills, but he'll he'll sub them with four guys. I think you sub two, and you, you, Jones needs to be on the court if not Jones, Quinterly needs to be on the court. You yep. can't have both those guys off yep. the court. You lose your offense. So I think it's the way he staggers these guys. But I know what he's trying to do strategically. But again, this is a team, when you think about it, that has changed. While Jordan Brown's minutes had gone down, then obviously he's he's no longer with the team, even though he's still listed. It was a player. <laughs> it was a body. It was a guy who was supposed to be better than he, than he was. Caleb Mills is a guy who decided – that he would be better coming off the bench and ask Penny, and he came off the bench but was in there in crunch time. They lose him now. Uh, okay, then they lose a kid who, who hardly played in J.J. Taylor. But all of a sudden, the really, really deep Tigers have become less deep when you think about quality. Sharon And Sharon Font last night, along with Pierre, 
I think Penny went into that game thinking, he wasn't overlooking UTSA. He doesn't do that kind of stuff. But he was thinking, yeah, we should take care of business, and these guys are going to get some playing time. So he got him in early. I don't think for a second Penny Hardaway thought that this game would be as close as it was, thought he'd get those guys a few minutes early, and then probably play them a lot deep in the game because they would be up by 20. And that's really what I think he was thinking. And so that's why Sharon Font got in early and Pierre got in early. But this is an eight-team rotation, and that is it. No, I agree, and I'm, I'm with you there. Like, he probably thought that, okay, eventually we're going to pull away, we're going to handle business against this UTSA team that, you know, arguably is the worst, you know, in the AAC and already a bad conference. But, you know, when you've played, what is it, at that point, 16, 17 minutes into the first half, and you see the way things are going, you know, why check in Jonathan Pierre then, right? Like, yeah. why put Carl in the game? Right. Like, you know, you can you can wait. You can wait to put those guys in until, you know, your starters kind of do some damage there and, and give you some kind of cushion. Um, because you saw, you know, kind of the sporadic substitutions and weird rotations. You know, it, it cost them at times, and they were down, what, two at the half there. There was one point where, you know, to your point, Greg, like, they had a lineup that didn't, you know, kind of make any sense, and the pieces just didn't seem to go together. I believe it was Jalen Young. Uh, Jaquan Walton, I think it was Jaden Hardaway, Ashton, and then Naquan Tomlin. Yeah, like, it was four. It was yeah. four guys off the bench and Jaquan Walton. Right. I remember pointing that out on the broadcast last night. Yeah, I mean you've got to have somebody that can kind of um, be your go-to guy. Somebody that can kind of in- initiate the offense. And um, I just don't think Jalen Young is that guy yet. You know, in terms of uh, being a true point guard. So you know, either Javon Quinterly or, or, or David Jones, even though David Jones isn't a one by any means you know, kind of have to be in just so you can get a bucket when you need one. And and it is good to see Walton actually hit some threes again. Yeah, he's he, getting he that confidence, that yes. Mm-hmm. So. Why, do you have any idea why we don't have a resolution to the Jordan Brown situation? Like, why is this even still like, why, why is he still even being listed? Man, I have no clue. Um, actually, last night, nobody asked Penny about it because it's one of those things where, you know, we've, we've asked so many times, right? And we asked on Sunday, <laughs> um, you know, what's going to change? Right. Yeah, I think it's just weird that it's not just resolved where they could say, yeah, no, he's not with us anymore. He's gone. No, it's so strange. I asked Penny about it on Sunday, um, and I told Greg this on the podcast. We talked about it a bit, but he basically said, you know, Jordan Brown is still a member of our basketball program. Um, and I followed up with, okay, you know, when will he be here physically? Right. Like, not in spirit, <laughs> but like, you know, physically. When will he be at the facility, at FedEx, you know, whatever. Um, and he said that I don't know, and he kind of said it with a chuckle. So I think it's become a kind of a running joke, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's just so strange. It's bizarre. it's bizarre. Yeah. Do we know where Jordan Brown is? Where is Jordan Brown? Like, where is Carmen San Diego? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea where he's at. But yeah, how, no. I how, have about, no how about this team? Think about this team, though. Right, how, how crazy it's been. Obviously, all the late additions as the summer progressed. They went to the Dominican Republic. They actually played against David Jones, but I know Jones had already committed to Memphis. You had all the yep. talk about DeAndre Williams, and we waited and waited and waited to see if he'd get the waiver, right? So DeAndre Williams, yeah. I can't believe it, man. If they have DeAndre Williams, they're going to be... Okay, they don't get DeAndre Williams. Then the Mikey Williams saga, right, which has gone on yep. forever. Now it's finally come to a conclusion, we would think, uh, because he's in the portal. We think. Uh, and then you have J.J. Taylor, who's always been looked at as a package deal with Mikey Williams. So he's now jumped into the portal. You get the Jordan Brown mystery. And now, unfortunately, you lose Caleb Mills to the knee injury. It has been 
absolutely nuts. It almost mirrors again the Grizzlies and the Tigers. I always say this. It always seems like they mirror each other. When it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. We talked about rotations and player substitutions, right? With Penny Hardaway, same deal with with Jenkins. Um, the talk of you really need either, especially Ja out. You need either Bain or or uh, Trip on the floor. At one time or the other, you can't have both them on the bench. Well, with Memphis, you can't have Quinterly and Jones on the bench at the same time. You really can't. No, for sure. And, and to your point about them kind of mirroring each other, you know, in mid-December when Memphis had ran through, you know, Texas A&M and Clemson and Virginia, and then John Morant's back for the Grizzlies, it looked like things were looking up for the city, you know, in terms of basketball in general. Um, and it quickly went from optimism on both ends to, you know, on one end, obviously, and on the Grizzlies' side, you know, not very much uh, daylight there. And then on the Tigers' side, you're looking at it like, you know, what's going on? Where's the team that, you know, mowed through these top 25 teams and looked like a contender? Um, so it's crazy how both of them have turned, um, you know, made a wrong turn quickly. Yeah, no question about it. All right, so Wichita State, it, it's not the Wichita State from five, ten years ago, whenever it was when Wichita State was really strong, a strong program. They're trying to get back to where they once were. We know that they have a rabbit fan base, and it's a tough place to play at. Memphis has been playing with fire, Parth. What do you expect on Sunday? Yeah, you know, we asked, uh, or somebody else asked Jaquan Walton about this, you know, in terms of the environment there. Yeah, former um, Shocker. I, yeah, former Shocker in the roundhouse, what it would be like. And he basically said, look, you know, if we come come out like we have in these past four or five games, like, they're, they're going to bury us. That crowd is not... And, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said that crowd is not no Tulsa crowd. You know, it is, <laughs> it is Wichita State. It gets loud in there. It was loud there last year. So even in these down years they've had um, where they haven't been that, you know, kind of mid-major power, so to speak, under Greg Marshall like they were 10 years ago, they've still um, they've still had a passionate, rabid fan base. And, you know, look, they're, they're not, you know, a world beater by any means, but they're not, you know, they're not Austin P. They're not UTSA. They're a they're a team that, you know, has been relatively competitive. You know, they, they lost to Kansas State by less than 10, I believe. They they pushed Missouri. So even against Power 5 opponents, they've right. held their own. Right, um, You know, if Memphis goes in there and, and, you know, somehow, some way gets down by, I don't know, double digits in the first half, it's going to be really, really, really hard to climb out of that hole there. The good news is that while Memphis has certainly not played well recently – and as Penny will tell you, have never played their best basketball or haven't to this point played their best basketball, they continue to win basketball games, whereas it seems like everybody and their mom is getting upset. Just what's happened in the last 48 hours with the number one team going down, the two team going down, the three team going down, the five team going down, on and on and on. If Memphis just keeps winning games, no matter how they win, they're going to continue to move up in the polls and probably drop down in the net. But as we know... You get to the tournament, and if you're not clicking and you're playing with fire and you have a close game, uh, presumably against better competition because they're in the tournament, then you have a chance to make it a quick stay in the tournament. So that's where they have to figure this out. And hopefully, as Penny said, it will begin on the defensive side because I don't think there's any problem with the offense. You score 107 points. I know you go overtime, but 107 points. Offense wasn't the problem. It's defense. Well, 107 and hopefully- points on a bad team. But yes, yes. Yes, but still, they're scoring. They're averaging nearly 80 a game. Offense has not really been the issue with this team. No. It's, no, de- it it's defense. they got to figure this thing out. And maybe going back to strictly man-to-man without help defense, 
may may work because the communication is not there. And and that's you know what's disappointing, Parth, is that it's a veteran team for the most part. Yep. Right? And the communication is lacking. Why 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 does that even happen? No, it's strange. Like I was thinking about asking Penny this last night and I didn't get a chance to because you know we kinda ran out of time there, but you know, I gotta go back and look, but last year around this time, mid-January, it seems like, or maybe not this early, right, but definitely late January, early February, the team they had last year with, you know, really, let's, let's be honest, Kendrick Davis, DeAndre Williams, and a bunch of mid-major guys, like, that team seemed a little bit further along, right? I mean, is, is that fair to say? In terms of, you know, this current team obviously has more talent, like, their their highs have been much higher, you know, in terms of beating, Memphis, or beating Clemson, beating Virginia, beating Texas A&M, but kind of to the point where this team's regressed in terms of communication and being on the same page, it seemed like last year's team um, was much more on that same page, in, in my opinion, uh, toward the end of January, early February. I agree with that, absolutely. And, and it probably is a, it's because of what you talked about. They had the two guys. You knew who the two stars were. Now, with this team, there's the two guys that stand out, at least from a scoring standpoint, in Quinterly and David Jones. But those other guys knew their roles. They were absolutely role players. Whereas with, in this case, you have a couple of guys who were certainly standouts in their former teams, with their former teams, and, and, and they want to be a bigger part of it. So I think you have more guys that can contribute, which brings sure. up which brings up this for a last question for you, is Naquan Tomlin. Naquan Tomlin, who opened up playing really well, the last two games he has fouled out, more productive last night than he was against SMU, but he's fouled out of the last two games, and... I, I don't know if there's there's an an issue with that, maybe being a little bit too aggressive, but I didn't know um, that would be an issue with him fouling the way he's fouled. Yeah, no, that last one was just, like, baffling, and I'm, I'm sure other ones were as well, but that last one certainly sticks out where, um, you know, he was trying to do too much. I think he went for a steal um, out near midcourt, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And, and Top of the key, out there, yeah, but... absolutely, yeah, and bumped the guy. He just went out yeah. there. He's trying to, uh, he's trying to uh, defend a guard, goes out there, he's too aggressive, Trying to get a steal, and he bumps the guy. But that's also when they're switching and and help defense and all that. If he's just playing man to man defense and just worried about the one guy, I wonder if that will um, will be okay, or will still that be an issue with him being as aggressive as he is? I think it'd be, um, you know, obviously we have to see if it'll be okay or not. But it'll be, you know, much better, right? Like it'll put him in a better position um, to succeed and to be out there for longer stretches of time without. You know, without picking up these silly fouls, I think, you know, he has the same problem that other guys do. Uh, when they get in holes, they're they're trying to do too much. They think that okay, you know, let me, um, let me overhelp here. Let me try to jump this passing lane and try to spark something myself mm-hmm. versus kind of staying put, right, and like uh, staying the course. Um, so yeah, I guess you know maybe a change there would help him certainly. He is Parth Upajai, Memphis Tigers basketball beat writer for the Daily Memphian. Read all his great stories at the Daily Memphian. Follow him on Twitter at, I'll spell it out for you, P-U-P-A-D-H-Y-A-Y-A underscore. Parth, thank you so much. Safe travels, and 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 hopefully uh, you'll be back uh, at least in time for Thursday's game against South Florida. Yeah, I know. Fingers crossed, y'all. Appreciate it. <laughs> thank you, Parth. Appreciate it. Uh, by the way, David Jones yesterday was named to the midseason John Wooden Award watch list. So a, uh, I guess, I don't know if you call it a semifinalist or whatever, but he is moving on. He was a preseason nominee and now is the uh, a nominee um, as they have hit the halfway point of the season. By the way, so last night, 107-101. One year ago today, mm-hmm. Tigers lost 107-104. Really? 
to, at UCF at double overtime. How about that? So almost, uh, so that it, it most so a year to the date they've scored over hundred points in the two games. That's wild. Both one in one overtime, one in two overtimes. One a win, one a loss. Sunrise is the place to go for breakfast here in the Mid-South. Boy, you the Sunrise, man, oh, man. The original location, Sunrise East as well. From the great biscuit sandwiches, whether you're looking for the sausage, egg, and cheese, or bacon, egg, and cheese, or my favorite, the P-Love with the fried bologna, egg, and cheese. You can take advantage of it. they got the big homemade in-house square biscuits that they use for those. Plus, you've got uh, things like the kitchen sink or the Three Amigos tacos or any of their breakfast bowls. So many great things on that breakfast menu for you to choose from. Then the lunch menu as well. Great sandwiches and salads. The French dip is my favorite thing uh, on that lunch menu. they got a great bacon cheeseburger, of course. Um, Whether it's there for breakfast, if you're there for breakfast or brunch, you want to enjoy a mimosa or a Bloody Mary. they got like six or seven different Bloody Marys that you could choose from. They've got beer as well. All kinds of different things for you to choose from at Sunrise. Again, Sunrise East on Poplar Avenue and the original down at 670 Jefferson Avenue. They're online, sunrise901.com where you can check out their menu. You can also order online for pickup to make it easy for you to pop on in, grab your stuff and be on your way at Sunrise. All right, when we come back, we'll take a look at the Super Wildcard Weekend in the NFL. Plus, take your calls and texts at 901-360-8255. You can also hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, on the website at sportsmemphis.com. You're tuned in to Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56, 98.5 FM. We are Real Sports Talk, Sports 56, WHBQ. Available on your radio dial at 560 AM and 98.5 FM, as well as around the world online at sports56whbq.com. Take us with you everywhere by downloading the Sports 56 app. And at home, just say, Alexa, play Sports 56. Wherever you are, stay tuned in to Real Sports Talk. Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports 56 Mornings. Good morning! On Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again. Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everyone. 9.31 the time. Tomorrow on the show, Delaney Walker is going to join us, former Tennessee Titans tight end. Talk to him about a big event coming up on Monday in Memphis, but also about the Titans and uh, the firing of Mike Vrabel. John Varlis, Matt Dillon, Tiger Basketball Report, Brandon Lang, all coming up on the show tomorrow and again if you missed any of our interviews from today any of our interviews from any time you can go back to our podcast which is on the website sportsmemphis.com each one of the shows we break them down hourly and then certain interviews we will put up there and post on featured audio so check them out at your leisure super wild card weekend saturday the browns and the texans and the Dolphins and the Chiefs. Sunday, the Steelers and the Bills. Packers and the Cowboys. Rams and the Lions. And the Eagles and the Buccaneers. I guess it's Bill Belichick news that will happen officially later today. And some of the other firings that have happened. The Pete Carroll news, the Mike Vrabel news, and others. It's kind of taken a little bit away from what this weekend will be. And uh, once they start playing the games, we'll get back to what's the most important thing. And that's between the lines. But should be a... 
Very fun weekend with a lot of interesting storylines. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the games this weekend. Starting with that Browns-Texans game. You know, it's interesting, D'Amico Ryans, who has done an incredible job with the Texans, could be the coach of the year in his first year, uh, formerly with the 49ers, a former Alabama player. D'Amico Ryan's name popped up yesterday as well for that Alabama job, but I, I can't imagine that D'Amico Ryan's right now, uh, is a, has even though it's his alma mater and even though you're, you're talking about one of the great programs in college football, the guy is succeeding at the highest level of football, the NFL, having an unbelievable year, turning around the Houston Texans franchise. I can't imagine he's, he's even remotely thinking about that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know what his what his dreams are, but he is a legend in Houston um, from his playing days there with the Texans, and he did an incredible job this year. So I would, I would think he's pretty happy with the Texans. So the Texans are a two and a half point home dog. Here's some numbers for you: the last three seasons of playoff football in the NFL, last three seasons, home dogs are eight, three, and two. Eight, three, and two. Browns will come in with Joe Flacco. He didn't play in their final regular season game. He has been a godsend to this Browns organization as they have gone through not one, not two, not three, but now their fourth quarterback. Yet their defense has played incredibly consistent and consistently good all year long. What do you think about that one? Uh, I think it's. You know, if the Browns defense is obviously really, really good, um, Miles Garrett and company, they could make life miserable for CJ Stroud. But if Houston could protect Stroud and give him time, the dude, like, I'm I'm not doubting CJ Stroud. <laughs> He's been absolutely incredible. And with Nico Collins, um, you know, I, I don't know what the situation is with Noah Brown for this week. Obviously, take Dell's done for the year. Uh, it'd be nice if they could at least get a, another weapon back for him. But but Stroud and Collins is one hell of a combination. And um, I'm certainly at home. I'm sure that place is going to be going bonkers. With this. It's, uh, it's been a while for them uh, in the playoffs to get a home game, which nobody there expected. Hell, they don't expect to be in the playoffs, let alone get a home game uh, this season. Um, I wouldn't be surprised also the Texans get that win. Yeah, you hit it on the head, though. Can they give Stroud time? If they can, we, we've seen what Stroud is capable of doing. But against that Browns defense, I don't know if he'll get the time. That one is tough. I, I, I can't wait till Brandon Lang joins us tomorrow and gives us his expert uh, analysis on that one because that one's tough for me to really come to a conclusion. I, I don't know. I mean, I certainly can see this one seriously either way. And I know, obviously, any game can go either way. But this one, I don't see a clear-cut favorite, even though the Browns, according to Vegas, are a two-and-a-half-point road favorite. It's just a really, really strong defense. The Dolphins, they get four at the Chiefs. And we know that the Dolphins screwed themselves a home game by losing that final game against the Bills. So here we go, the Dolphins and the Chiefs again. The Chiefs, certainly the last, I don't know, month and a half, not playing up to their capability. But Kansas City at home, they've been tough in the playoffs over the years. What do you see from Pat Mahomes and company? Well, I mean, the weather. I, I look at <laughs> Tua's from Hawaii, played college football at Alabama, mm-hmm. 
and plays pro ball in Miami. So all the uh, the coldest places on earth, right? Saturday night's low in Kansas City is supposed to be negative eight. <laughs> I'm just guessing Tua in his life hasn't played much negative eight weather. I think that's that correct. would just I think that's a correct just, statement. Just a pure guess. I'm pretty sure in Hawaii he didn't see negative eight. Hasn't seen it in Miami again. Now they've played some. They I don't. They've played some road games during the winter, and I'm sure they've seen some cold weather. And I don't know what his numbers are. I've, but I just the weather alone makes me believe Kansas City wins this game. With if it was going to be a fifty degree sunny day and a fairly warm night, I love Miami because I don't think Kansas City's offense is good enough to score with them. But in that weather, I, I just think it. I think Miami's going to struggle. Here, here's a wrinkle for you. Tyreek Hill played in Kansas City, now with Miami. So he's played in the cold. He, he is. If he, there's he, snow, he will be comfortable. If there's snow on the ground, if it's icy on the ground, you give the advantage to the offensive player. They know where they're going. The defensive player doesn't know. they got to react to the offensive player. Throw And you're worried about Tua. Throw a five-yard out. Don't worry about throwing it 40 yards down the field. Throw a quick out to Tyreek Hill. Let him do his magic. Just food for thought. Food for thought. But I I can't go against Kansas City. I, I'm with you on this one. But they have to play better. They just have not played better. See if Kelsey can get going. He's not been – I don't want to say he's not been utilized. He just hasn't played as well. He's had drops, things of that nature. It's not because of Taylor. Uh, he just needs to play better. Sunday, got the triple header. Steelers, plus 10 at the Bills. They will not have T.J. Watt. But Mason Rudolph – no hesitation from Mike Tomlin. He gets the call. By the way, what is it all of a sudden with the rumor about Mike Tomlin possibly retiring? Did you see that? I did not see that. I can't imagine that. But here come the Steelers, prohibitive underdogs at the Bills. The Bills, the biggest yo-yo team this year in the National Football League. I don't know about a 10-point win, but I would be stunned if the Bills don't win this game. And maybe I shouldn't feel that way, the way it's gone for them this year. But I think at home, now Pittsburgh's not worried about the cold. Obviously, they play in the cold as well. Najee Harris coming off a real good game last week. Starting to run the ball better. They're playing better under Mason Rudolph, but I, I, I would be stunned. I think Buffalo wins this game. Yeah, I'm sure Josh Allen will have some turnovers to keep it close. But <laughs> Buffalo will. So they'll, they, keep it interesting. They'll struggle to cover the 10, but they will, I, they will win. Packers get 7.5 at the Cowboys. Jordan Love, he's uh, shut up a lot of the doubters. He's played very well for the Packers. The fact they're in the playoffs and Aaron Rodgers, unfortunately, what happened to him in New York. So good on Green Bay, but they're going to run into a buzzsaw here. Cowboys at home, almost unbeatable. I think they'll win. They'll win convincingly. They should. That's what they do on the home field, and they are a better team than Green Bay. Um, The question will be, if Green Bay um, can just come out and run the ball, and especially if you know if, if Green Bay were to able to get an early lead and just rely on the running game, um, you know, can the Cowboys stop Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon and all that group um, and enough to come back? But if if everything goes as you would expect and there's not turnovers and, and dumb things, then the Cowboys should win pretty comfortably. 
And, and then one I'm really going to be interested in in watching, and that's the Rams and the Lions because there's so many storylines. Matthew Stafford, former star quarterback with the Lions. Jared Goff, who was with the Rams and then traded to the Lions. The Rams get three points on the road. Goff's talked about really having that chip on his shoulder from the trade. It still stings. He says, I think it'll never leave me, and I think that's a good thing. I think the Rams are dangerous. They've been playing really good. And, you know, the Lions certainly, it's as unfamiliar territory to a lot of the guys. Now, golf certainly has been through it and been to a Super Bowl, so it's not not strange to him by any means. Right. Um, but I, the Rams, I this one, I think this one could be very close, and to me, it's kind of a toss-up game. I, I'm not surprised at all if the Rams go in there and beat them. Yeah, Rams was was one of my picks before the season started. I, I not to win at all, but to to be in the playoffs. And for a while there, it looked like they were one of the worst teams, but they were bad because of the injuries, and they were able to persevere. Man, that was a lot of adversity, and they were able to bounce back once they got healthy. So this will be a challenge for uh, Motor City Dan Campbell and the Lions, even though it's at home. But they're going to go crazy in Detroit. This is a rarity for the Lions. They have an opportunity to not just get to the playoffs, well, they're in the playoffs, but to to win some games in the playoffs. They're good. I, I like the Lions. I think the Rams are dangerous, but I love the Lions winning at home. And then finally, the Monday game, Eagles minus three at the Bucks. The Eagles' problems have been well-documented. The problems of the last month or so. The Buccaneers just finding ways. Not a potent offense, but Baker has done a real nice job. A real nice job. They got a pretty decent running attack. Did the Eagles figure it out in Tampa? (laughs) Can anybody figure out the Eagles? (laughs) I'm laughing at you laughing. I I have no idea. No idea. I don't think it's just to turn on the switch. I, I don't think they just simply turn on a switch here. But how how healthy are they? A.J. Brown went down last game. You have um, Jalen Hurts with the finger issue. You have the um, Devontae Smith injury. They're not healthy. But I, I just can't. This is not Tom Brady in Tampa winning the Super Bowl several years ago. I just don't think this Tampa team's that good. Baker will look for Mike Evans. Mike Evans going up against that secondary. I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa won, but I think the Eagles would win the will win the game. Boy, I was just looking at my uh, NFL predictions for this year. Mm-hmm. I had two division winners that I picked last. No, I didn't. No, no, they didn't win the division. But I have. Three playoff teams that I picked last in their division. Oh, really? I, I, I had the Buccaneers last in their division. I had the Packers last in their division. And I had the Browns last in their division. Let me let me find mine here. Going into my bag here. All right, let's see. Here are the predictions that we made. I had the Eagles winning the East and the one seed. I had the Cowboys in the playoffs as the sixth seed. So basically flipped almost, right? My Cowboys to win the East because they because you just never – like next year, don't pick the Cowboys to win the East. Pick anybody but the Cowboys because there's not going to be a repeat winner in the NFC East. But just going with that theory, I was right with the Cowboys. That was, that was, that was the only – that the only – no, the 49ers, I got them right. Lions, I did get right. I got the Lions winner. right to win the division. I have the Saints – 
Saints didn't win the division. I had the Saints to win the division. And I had the 49ers, and I had the Rams in the playoffs, and I had the Seahawks in the playoffs. So I missed out on the Seahawks who almost got in. I had the Jets winning the AFC East. Obviously, the Aaron Rodgers thing completely butchered that whole situation. I had the Bills, the Jets, and the Dolphins all in the playoffs. The Bills to win the East, so I was right with that. The Jets was a debacle. The Dolphins, I had them as a seventh seed, so they're in the playoffs. I had the Bengals to win the North, who knew Burrow was going to get hurt. And I had the Ravens in the playoffs. But they got three teams in the playoffs with the Browns, Steelers, and the Ravens. So I missed out on the Steelers and the Browns. And then I had the Jags to win the South. That was the easy pick for most people and ends up being wrong. In fact, I was so, my AFC South is so bad. I had the Jags one, the Titans two, the Colts three, the Texans four. And then in the West, the Chiefs. I had nobody else in the playoffs, so I got that one right. My Super Bowl pick before the season, Bills over the 49ers. I'm sticking with it, baby. I had the Bengals over the 49ers. That ain't happening. I'm going to bet I was wrong. That ain't happening. All right, we need to take a break. Uh, Dennis is just out. Dennis, hold on. We'll get to your thoughts on the Tigers. I know you want to talk about the Tigers uh, if you can hold on through the break. You're tuned in to Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Add a little fun to your lunch break. Join Johnny Radio for Sports 56 Happy Hour from 11 to 1 every weekday on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now back to Sports 56 Mornings. Good morning. On Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. We have been busy from the get-go. It's been one of those weeks, just story after story after story. For all you Ohio State Buckeyes fans out there, I'm sure you'll be happy to know that wide receiver Ameka Ekbuka is foregoing the NFL draft. He's returning to Ohio State. They got the news of Quinshawn Judkins transfer to Ohio State the other day. So things looking up for the Buckeyes and Ryan Day. Dennis has dialed in on the Sports 56 listener lines, wants to talk a little bit about the Tigers. Hey, Dennis, how are you? Pretty good, man. You guys doing all right? Doing okay. Yeah. Doing okay. Yeah. Well, look, man, I just wanted to kind of pose a question to you guys and just y'all expert achieve. You know, a lot of people were griping about, you know, how we barely won and all this. Do you, my opinion, I think is more of uh, the transport portal. And I think that you have teams now, you can't look on the jerseys. You know, these guys get guys from all over, like the big man they had, the seven footer that was shooting threes. They say he came from Kansas State. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Jordan Ivy, uh, Jordan Ivy kid, a kid can ball, man. So I, I don't, I think the the game has changed. This, you know, like back in the day, you would say, okay, UTSA can't recruit the same guys as Memphis. I think you have to throw it out the window now, man. And I just look at it as long as we keep winning, it's a, it's a great thing. I mean, it's kind of excruciating sometimes on the heart. <laughs> but I just kind of want to know what you guys think about. Do you think that that's a fact, you know, kind of? Sure. Change the game. How you look at it. Appreciate y'all. Thank you, Dennis. We appreciate you listening. I don't think there's any question that we have seen a lot more of that around the nation with teams that may be marginal. That all of a sudden they're factors because, especially in basketball, all it takes is one or two players to make the difference. If you have that NIL money and you're attractive to a player in the portal and you're able to pick them up, it changes everything. Yes, the kid came from Kansas State. 
And they're able to get those type of players now. Players that may be on the outs with their particular power school or they may be not getting the playing time they want, whatever the case may be. And they're looking for options. Well, all of a sudden, this option is pretty good NIL payday. Even though it's not a traditionally good basketball program, they're willing to do that. So I'm not saying it evens the score across the board, but it certainly puts a lot more teams into the mix. But I'm not going to go as far as saying that's the reason why UTSA took Memphis to overtime. I said it on the show yesterday. I said it to a lot of people. I said it on the Daily Memphian podcast. This is a team that's a lot better than 7-8. and eight. I don't care who they played. I know their lineup. I talked to their coach. I know these players. And I can guarantee they're not finishing dead last in the conference. But on the same token, they're not a great basketball, basketball team. And Memphis, at least early in the season, they were a great basketball team. So they should not have been taken to overtime. It never should have gotten to where it became, once again, a down-to-the-wire game. But I do agree with Dennis when he said that there are teams now that are more in the mix because they're able to get players immediately with its free agency across the board in collegiate sports. Yeah, it just disperses the talent more because now guys that go to maybe a big program don't get that opportunity. They transfer down kind of a level um, to, for that opportunity to play and they could be become really good players. So it's just, it spreads the talent out more, more evenly across the board. Um, teams that you know may have had more depth before don't have that depth because guys leave. So yeah, it's, I mean, there's, again, there's a reason when you look at last year, um, the NCAA tournament, you know, how throughout the year we had the top ranked teams losing constantly um, in the NCAA tournament. Number one seeds didn't make it to the final four. Um, this year we're seeing already a lot of the highly ranked teams losing games. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, there's a lot more parity because the talent is just that much more spread out because of the transfer portal. And that's across the board in all sports. We talk a lot about football and basketball, right? It's really all sports. But, for example, in football, you have now a coveted job that's open, although huge shoes to fill in Alabama with Nick Saban announcing his retirement. And quickly, names come to the surface like Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian. Now, I couldn't tell you because I haven't spoken to those guys and will not get the opportunity to speak to those guys. But because of the portal, and he is the portal king, and the season they had this past season, Lane Kiffin has to be feeling great. He's the king of Oxford. He's comfy. And although it's a more prestigious job and institution and a program that has succeeded a lot more on the football field than Ole Miss, he feels that they can have that success at Ole Miss. So even though, and I'm not saying Alabama would make him their first choice. He's staying. Why is he staying? Because he can get those players. They have an amazing collective there, right? The Grove Collective. Well, Sarkeesian, same deal at Texas. Great program. Money out the yin-yang. Money that you can use in the NIL. They're going to the SEC. Now, again, I don't know if they would be interested, and I don't know if those guys would say yes, but I'm going to guess they won't. And again, it comes down to you have those opportunities wherever you are now. To succeed. Dan Lanning at Oregon, same deal. But I'm not saying that Dan Lanning wouldn't take the job. Um, Oregon, maybe a little bit different ball game than Texas. But I, if he turns that down, it's because obviously they have that money and we know they have it at Oregon. 
So there are a lot of factors now, but it's a different ball game with NIL, with the transfer portal, and you're able to win at a lot more places than you were able to years ago. It's that simple. Yeah, but I, I mean, you are, but like, it's easier to win at Alabama than Lane, than it is at Ole Miss. If you're yeah, Lane but, Kiffin, but I don't tell that to Mike Shula. Tell that to the I other guys. I don't know what. I, I have no idea. Lane Kiffin certainly has a great situation, and he can win nine, ten games at Ole Miss year in and year out, and they'll love him. Alabama, you miss the twelve team playoff, they're gonna hate you. They got video from WBRC Fox Six in Birmingham of Nick Nick Saban. Nick Saban getting out of his car, walking to his office. Got a couple of uh, state policemen uh, kind of walking in there with him, and uh, a tweet from my buddy Trey Draper. He says, "Only man to retire and show up to work the next day." There you go. The work ethic would be hard to match. Whoever replaces the great Nick Saban. And again, the Bill Belichick press conference later on today, I think at noon Eastern time, Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, all expected to uh, speak as that uh, relationship. I'm sure it's a good relationship still, I think, but it's being severed after 24 years and six Super Bowl titles. That'll do it for us today. We appreciate you joining us on this busy Thursday. Thanks to Hudson Hollenbeck from the University of Michigan, Dane Bradshaw, and Parth Upajai for joining us. We're back tomorrow bright and early starting at 7 a.m. John Varlas, Delaney Walker, the former Titans tight end, Matt Dillon with the Tiger Basketball Report. We'll get picks from Brandon Lang on Super Wild Card Weekend, plus 10 in a row, the game show that has swept the nation. Join us tomorrow for that, but stay tuned for Wolo. It's Wolo and Friends on Sports 56, and it's coming up next. For Eli Savoy and Zach Boyd, I'm Greg Gaston. Have a great day, everybody. Don't stop